0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining Wilson Sonsini's Electronic Gaming Group podcast. I'm Mary O'Brien, an associate at Wilson based out of the Palo Alto office. I'm thrilled to have you join me as I interview several of my colleagues and dig into key topics surrounding early stage companies with a focus on gaming-specific issues. The information in this podcast episode is for general information purposes only and may not reflect current law in your jurisdiction. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation and this information is not intended to create and receipt or listening does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking legal or other professional advice from an appropriately licensed professional in your state, country, or other appropriate jurisdiction. Joining me, I have Paul Gadiok of counsel in our FDA regulatory and compliance group in San Francisco. Paul, could you tell me a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Mary. I'm uh, really happy to be here and be part of this podcast uh, with you, thanks for inviting me. Um, So I uh, am of counsel in in San Francisco, like you said. Prior to that, I worked at uh, uh, Center for Devices and Radiological Health within the FDA for about a decade, uh, working on a lot of really neat technologies, digital health, um, 3D printed technologies, and, um, you know, we've, we've started, since I've been outside the agency, started looking at, you know, kind of what's on the horizon, including, you know, uh, virtual reality uh, types of devices and, uh, you know, the topic that we're going to be talking about today, which is, um, which is gaming. So it's been, it's been fascinating to really take my experience from FDA and knowing how the agency considers new technologies and uh, really applies it. To applying it to being on the outside and and giving me kind of a leg up or understanding how to interact with the agency or kind of interpret their policies.
0: We have seen gaming companies moving into these non-traditional spaces, including the evolution into entering the digital healthcare field. Paul, could you tell me a little bit about this development? Is this a new trend or is this something companies have been doing for a while?
1: Yeah, you see companies both um, some companies are leaning in and others are, are diving in, um, so so leaning in. You know, there these companies, gaming companies, have been, um, you know, creating some health, uh, creating gaming devices that are making some, you know, low level risk um, claims. So you know, one example is like We Fit about like health and and wellness, um, and and then you see um, other companies really diving in and not shying away from regulatory hurdles with more aggressive claims um, and investing significant resources into that regulatory process.
0: So how are these gaming companies that introduce these healthcare elements regulated by the government?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. It's it's all ties back to what are the claims that are being made. So you have, uh, you know, the those low risk, really low risk devices, um, you know, that are just making general um, wellness and, and health claims. Those actually are not regulated by FDA anymore. Um, and that's following a, a 2016 general wellness um, guidance, which was then later put into statute in 21st Century Cures and uh, amended the Federal uh, Food, Drug and Cosmetic Act. And uh, so what that guidance said was for technologies or devices that are intended to relate to maintaining or encouraging a general state of health or healthy activity um, or uh, that relate to, you know, the role of a healthy lifestyle um, with certain, you know, related to certain chronic diseases, but, you know, where, where, you know, activity or or wellness is known to, to be a factor um and the devices are low risk FDA is just just not going to regulate them so you see a lot of folks jumping into that area because they're not going to be regulated by the agency um and then you have you know um uh, more you know uh, other classifications when you come into the regulated space of class one class two and and class three um so those are device types. So class one devices are going to be really low risk devices. Again, what are the claims that they're making? Does it relate to a condition that is generally low risk?
0: You said that companies that lean in and only do mental wellness claims aren't regulated by the FDA. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Have there been any companies that have done that in the gaming sphere?
1: Um, yeah, I think that, for instance, um, We Fit would be a, a good example of, uh, you know, a company that keeps it in, um, you know, that does gaming, but it's just keeping it as, you know, maintaining your balance or um, staying fit, staying healthy, burning calories, but making a game or, or gamifying that.
0: And so, what are the ways for gaming companies that you were getting into before I before I jumped in? What are the ways the ones when they make the heavier claims? What happens then?
1: Yeah, sure. So then, FDA is going to expect you know that you're maintaining qual like device quality, and then also that you have to go through um, you know potentially some level of pre market review, um, and those can go through you know three really three or four different types of of pathways. On one end of the spectrum, you have class one devices, which are low risk claims. The other end of the spectrum are gonna be your high risk claims, um, which are gonna be your class three devices that require, you know, pre-market approval, um, you know, a, a really lengthy application, clinical trials. And then right in the middle, you've got your class two devices, uh, which are going to be your moderate risk claims. Um, so that, you know, an example of a gaming device that went through that process is going to be, um, it's actually, you know, quite old. Uh, well, not not that old, but I guess in terms of gaming, it was from about 2012. And that was meant to help patients with, you know, stroke rehabilitation. Um, and And so that's a more streamlined path to market, which is known as the 510K process. So what goes into a 510K is really you're demonstrating substantial equivalence to a device that's already on the market. Um, And so we're talking about, you know, relatively low user fee. You'd still be regulated by the agency, um, but that is, you know, what's already out there and you're saying, hey, me too. Um, I do that. I do that as well. Uh, and so you know that's that's the the moderate risk of devices. Then you have that's this is why I said there's kind of between three and four pathways. Um, there's the de novo pathway. And what that is is you're saying to the agency and the application, essentially, "Look, there's nothing out there like uh, like this device, But the risks to health are also, not so high that you need to regulate me like a class three device. Um, so it's kind of somewhere in between a class two and a class three. And probably the most famous gaming device that came out um, in recent history was the Endeavor RX. And that was the uh, the uh, device that was intended to uh, help patients, uh, children actually, with ADHD.
0: You mentioned something interesting that we're still in kind of this growth phase as companies figure out and navigate the area, but we also know that technology evolves at this rapid, rapid pace and governments are not always as adept at keeping pace at the rate of growth. Has the FDA kept up with its regulations? I know you mentioned the guidance in 2016, but as of today, do you feel like the FDA is adequately equipped to review all of these games?
1: no I, I don't think so and that's just the function i don't know if they if they ever will be you know i think that it's going to be industry is breaking new ground um and then you're going to find regulators trying to find uh, you know what is really the right line to draw in terms of uh access versus you know um, you know whether it's pre-market review so you know we saw this and we've seen this play out with. With digital health, uh, you know that that was really a curveball for the agency that's used to reviewing, you know, hardware—not uh, even in the in the you know tech space, but really you know something that they can grab and feel. And when there's iterations of it, you know, you can see that or or really um, you know touch it and feel it. Now you're getting updates to to software, and the agency is really struggling to keep up I mean just in terms of what are what are their policies going to be you know because they don't want to review all these changes uh, if they don't need to um, and then they don't they don't have the right policies or, or I'm sorry it's not that they don't have the right policies but they're trying to figure out what are the policies and what is the you know the resources that they can dedicate towards that so they're they're still going to be feeling their way around but the agency also is quite collaborative um, especially when you have public workshops and um, you know the agencies trying to just pull information from uh, stakeholders because they know that they're just one part of this ecosystem so i think that particularly when you have uh, technologies that are developing that's really an opportunity to create a pathway um, and say to FDA, this is how you should regulate it, uh, because the FDA needs that help, and they know that. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for influence because FDA is has such a tough time keeping up. So, um, like I said, I think it's a it's 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 a good opportunity if if folks are able to coalesce or, you know. Find a common goal and present that to the agency in terms of, you know, this is how we should be regulated.
0: So, how do games that seek to introduce a digital health aspect go about seeking government approval? Would there be a difference between a game focused on mental wellness versus a game that maybe is seeking to treat or reduce symptoms of an illness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, the way FDA looks at it is going to be um, more risk based classification. And that risk is really going to stem from the underlying condition um, that the device is intended to treat, diagnose, or or cure. So on one end of the spectrum, you'll have um, your class one low-risk devices. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have your class three um, high-risk devices. And so these are you know, going to be life-threatening or, you know, very serious conditions. Um, And so that's going to require pre-market approval, clinical studies, um, you know, the substantial amount of time and cost. Then in between, and it's shaped like a bell curve, you're really going to have your class two devices, and those are your moderate risk. And that's, and, and by bell curve, I mean that those, that's the application type that is most popular with FDA. That is the the application type that most most devices end up going through when it comes to pre-market review. So those are going to be your um, 510K devices, and that's really going to be your moderate risk. And what you have to do there for that application is um, demonstrate substantial equivalence to a product that's already on the market. So, whereas class three, you're gonna look at a pre-market application and you're saying, okay, what's the the benefits and what are the risks? Um, and how does that, um, you know, how do those balance against each other? Class two is a very different calculus and that's gonna be, well, is this device substantially equivalent to, um, other devices that are on the market, and there's, you know, a way to to really craft that. Um, and then, aside from that, is really going to be your general wellness, and those are going to be your devices that, like we said, are are making your health and wellness claims, and those don't even go through the FDA regulatory process. So it's it all comes down to the claims that you're making, and gaming companies don't. You know, necessarily need to squarely fall within one bucket throughout the product's life cycle. So, uh, one tactic could be to really start with general wellness claims, uh, which gets you straight to market without any review. And during that time, um, you know, use the use that gaming app to gather certain safety or biocompatibility data or other kinds of data um, that can be used later on. Uh, to support uh, regulatory submission for a future, you know, five ten k or a PMA for more health related claims. So, you know, I think that's that's a great way to get on the market, earn revenue, gather data for you know uh, more expansive claims that are going to require pre market review. But you're you're going to have gathered a lot of almost um, real world data that you know if you think about it on the front end. Um, you can really leverage that and and use that to support a regulatory submission. So, we definitely encourage that and and work with folks to to do just that because we we recognize a lot of these companies are going to be early stage and and you know, need to generate money to a lot of times pay for that regulatory submission.
0: So, it sounds like if they if a company made a claim. Um, that would trigger FDA review. It might be more cost intensive. It might take a lot more time to go through the FDA process versus if they're only making mental wellness claims, It seems like they can pretty much go straight to market, and the FDA wouldn't need to review them. So this does create an interesting incentive of what would happen if a gaming company misclassified something as a wellness device, but it was actually a medical device?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think that, um... Really, what would end up happening is they would li- likely get a notice from the FDA uh, inquiring about the company making health claims, and uh, that would end up requiring a response in a relatively short time frame. Um, and and what we're talking about is again, it's going back to the claims. So can that company revise their claims? They need to put together a response, a response which has their justification. Um for why their claims are appropriate. Um, or it could be just how they're going to revise their claims and um, you know, or the company could say, and this is not popular and not really what happens, but that they're going to take the product off the market. Now, if they decide to keep it on the market with those same claims, you know, it's um it's an escalation process uh where FT is going to give you an opportunity to Correct what you're doing. If you don't do it, then you could get a warning letter or some other type of enforcement action. Um, and you know, with that, can come also you know continued marketing. If you do that, is going to be you know could be civil penalties or other fines. Um, and uh, and and that does a lot of damage. Obviously, the relationship with the FDA, but it's also going to do a lot of reputational damage. You know, um, out. You know outside beyond that and within the within the community because those warning letters um, do have uh do have uh, or i'm sorry are made public so you know fda gives you a few opportunities to correct labeling um but if you decide you're just gonna you know not pay attention to that um they do have uh, an arsenal that they can use to you know keep your products from coming off uh from staying on the market. And that assumes that the products are indeed violative. Um the policies, as we've talked about, are are really evolving here. And FDA doesn't always interpret a policy um correctly uh, and according to law. So if a company's position is sound, it really is a good idea to to push back respectfully. We do that, you know, a lot of times with the agency, they don't always get it right. And, um, you know, there's, there's no reason that if you believe you have a basis to remain on the market with your claims that you should take away those claims. Cause a lot of times those claims are valuable or to adjust your marketing practice. It's just important to consider, you know, what are the boundaries before you go in? And, you know, if you have a supportable position, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we help we help folks push back against the agency all the time, and sometimes you know we get our way. Sometimes uh, we meet the FDA in the middle, um, and sometimes it's a it's a relationship exercise. And and for one reason or another, you know, we decide to to revise the claims um, with an expectation of, you know, how are we going to incorporate these in the future.
0: So in order to avoid the FDA arsenal, it sounds like we really need to make sure that companies go to the FDA when they should be going to the FDA um, to introduce these elements into their games. So if a game wanted to introduce this element that may trigger FDA regulation, when would the best time to reach out to the FDA um, or to reach out to an attorney and seek assistance would be?
1: Yeah, so that's that's a great question. Timing is 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 critical. And the FDA is, you know, very helpful um, and they offer their resources, um, but they're also very busy. So you don't go to the agency and ask questions um, that are, you know, you can find the answer essentially by Googling or not necessarily, not only by Googling, but, you know, just just understanding, you know, spending the time to understand what the, the, how the product is regulated or could be regulated. Um, so you won't you, you need to have that preparation done ahead of time. Um, and there's, you know, there is something to be said, uh, for. Whether you take a position and market your product, or. If you're going to go and seek a response from the agency, based on my experience, at FDA, the agency is is fairly conservative. So uh, you may have a supportable position that your cla- that your your um, devices, you know, general wellness or very low risk. But if you pitch that question to the agency, um, if it's a close call, the there's a good chance that the FDA is going to say, well, actually, we consider you to be class two. So to continue marketing your product, um, you need to provide a 510K. And so now they've established their position. Now you have to talk them, you know, down from that, or it's been created. Um, You know, a a different approach would be to, um, you know, Kind of work through that on your own and you know to the extent that a uh, that a, a product application is required figure out you know what's what are how do you want to get to market what are the what's the gap analysis what are the open questions that are remaining and go and talk to the agency and get that feedback um, but even getting that feedback those are you know, you'd never go to the agency and say, what do I do or what are the requirements? It's It always has to be, this is what I believe the data requirements to be, and this is why. Um, you want to give them a proposal. Um, in terms of timing, you know, it's setting up these engagements with the agency to the extent they're needed is about a three or four month process. So you really have to factor in that time for when do I need to get this response by? And there's a real sweet spot for, you know, do I have enough data to present to the agency right now, or am I, you know, is it still too early? And you can go in and talk to the agency through a pre-submission meeting multiple times, and there's no user fee associated with that right now. Um, but it does eat up your time. And when you're in development, if you time it, if you don't time it well, sometimes you're just sitting on a product because you're waiting for that engagement with the fda Um, so it's it's something that should be factored in so usually what we recommend is a preliminary regulatory analysis on the front end um, you know figure out what we believe the requirements to be and then to the extent there's questions for the agency you know if a pre-market application or some other application is required to have to have an idea of okay here's what we think those data requirements are for confirmation we'll go to the agency and tell them why we think this is the right way
0: that sounds perfect I mean it sounds like we you need to be very precise and when you go and um it sounds like you have the expertise on both ends of knowing when that is um as a closing thought I was hoping could you leave the listeners with the biggest piece of advice surrounding this current regulation that the FDA has around gaming devices?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It would be to not sit on the sidelines. um, To, you know, we work with companies that are in small spaces and that are trying to grow their space um, and grow their industry. And a lot of times, one of the best ways to do that is create a network within yourselves of, self-regulation and come up with your own standards um, and own expectations, you know, within that group. Because if you don't have that um, and you're approaching the agency, then the agency sometimes looks at a group that it doesn't know and says, "Okay, um, this group is not organized. Uh, so, you know, we're, you know, not organized in terms of what's required. Um, so we, you know, the agency ends up applying probably more, um, regulatory pressure than they need to. Again, I had mentioned that they're, they're pretty conservative. Um, the other part, the the other benefit to maintaining those standards is when you are, again, in the, in a, in a growing industry. So if we're talking about medical device um, uh, gaming, then when you have one uh, let's say bad actor or someone who you know is is not taking health um, a- as seriously as they should be, sometimes that can reflect on the broader industry. So when you have a group that has developed its own standards, um, and folks adhere to those standards, it helps show FDA that look, they are you don't need to regulate us as heavily. We're already complying with um, you know our own standards. Uh, so you know kind of don't worry, you know we got this almost in a sense. Uh, otherwise, if it's fractured, FDA says okay, this group needs to be regulated. So I would I would say. You know, before FDA starts applying more regulatory pressure to kind of create a group and find out what the common goals are, speak through that voice and be coordinated um, before uh, before FDA feels like they need to intervene.
0: Perfect. Thank you for your time today, Paul. Wilson Sincini advises a wide variety of clients in the gaming industry. If you'd like more information about legal issues arising in the gaming space, please check out the Electronic Gaming Group's newsletter. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to any member of our Electronic Gaming Group. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.